Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Mark chapter 5, the book of Mark chapter 5. We continue our study through the New Testament. Now, it's very important for us to understand what's happening in the order that Brother Mark has written to us because remember last week in chapter 4, we see a picture of Satan and the demonic realm, things that the Lord has revealed to us through his word and what happens in the spirit realm, in the pneumos. Remember our study through the epistles and the warnings uh, in our study through the epistles, how when you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And, you know, being open to the pneumos is both good and bad, you know, the spirit realm. But at the same time, there's a determining factor. And that's you and me. That's the determining factor because it poses some questions. Are we sealed? Are we equipped? And are we ready? You see, and before you answer the, like, you know, like, you know, yes, you know, I'm sealed and yes, I'm equipped and yes, I'm ready. Before you answer in the affirmative that, yes, that's me, make sure you listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and all the way to the book of Jude in chapter 1. Very important for us to understand because there is a very specific formula and it's captured in the word of God and the Lord wants us to know. And so we begin our study here in Mark chapter 5, here in verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, in verse 2. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. So we have to look what's happening here. You know, what's just been taught and what our Lord said in our study from last week and the activities of Satan and the things of the demonic realm, remember, about the seed in our study last week in chapter 4? And also remember that at the end of chapter 4, Jesus, he just rebuked the sea and even the sea obeyed his commands, you see? And there's something that has to be said here because we're going to look on subject matter of the spirit realm and the demonic realm, and we're going to look and see what happens. But, you know, understand that today we're living in a time where pastors, they're teaching the congregation, they're teaching the believers, and they're teaching that the gifts and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit, the kind that we see in the book of Acts, there are pastors today who say that the moving of the Spirit, like we see in the book of Acts, that it's not for today. And they say that it was for another dispensation. But, you know, when you read the Bible, you will not find an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. You will not find an expiration date on the Holy Spirit. These pastors, they're in severe, severe error. And those who follow them are in severe danger, you see. And these are pastors that are prevalent among the Calvinists and the Reformed sects. But at the same time, you have the other side of the spectrum where you have pastors who make a mockery of the Holy Spirit. And these pastors are also in severe error. And those who follow them are in severe danger. And these are pastors that are prevalent among the hyper-charismatic sects. It's very important to understand that in both camps, in both camps, these pastors have quenched the Holy Spirit, something that the Bible says don't do. They've extinguished. And when you read what Paul says, you know, do not quench the Spirit, you know, do not extinguish. That's how it translates in the Greek. Do not extinguish the Holy Spirit. And speaking about these pastors, that's provided they ever had the Holy Spirit. You see, and you cannot follow such men. You cannot follow such men because these men will not equip you. 
They will not equip you. They're going to disarm you and they're going to weaken you. And understand that in these last days, look at the converging, not just of prophecies, but look at the converging of events that are happening today, but then also in the pneumos, in the spirit realm, because you have Christians that are unequipped for the times. They're not ready. Straight up, just not ready. They're unequipped for the times. And this is also at a time when Satan and the, de the demonic realm, they know their time is short. And so what they're doing is they're amplifying their attacks. And it's working. It's gaining strength. And don't forget, prophetically speaking, when you read the book of Revelation, what happens is that the Antichrist, when Satan finds his host, the Antichrist is going to prevail against the saints. It will be given, power will be given him to prevail against the saints. Very important to understand what the word of God teaches, you see. And so when it comes to spiritual warfare, you have pastors who they make a distinction from unclean spirits and demonic possession as if, as if one is better than the other, where they say that oppression comes from, you know, the unclean spirit. But demonic possession is impossible. And you have a lot of pastors who teach in this manner. And a lot of times what happens is that Christians, they hear stuff like this with a certain degree of relief because, you know, they start to think, well, you know, I'm okay. You know, I'm a Christian. So that means I can't be demonically, uh, I can, I can be demonically oppressed, but I can't be demonically possessed. You see, and it's very important to understand what the word of God says, because remember the book of Judges in the book of Judges, Old Testament, Old Testament, the book of Judges. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of Judges. Very important for us to understand, because Brother Paul is one who says of the book of Judges that these things were written for us, for our warning, for our admonition. And in the book of Judges, there was oppression upon Israel. You see, and it happened for a reason. Oppression happened for a reason. And as the oppression got worse, it resulted in death. And then when you take a step back and you observe the landscape of the book of Judges, you see what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. You see? And so, you know, a lot of times Christians, they just figure, well, you know, I'm a Christian. That's Old Testament. I'm a Christian. I'm a new believer in Christ. And, you know, we're sealed of the spirit. And, you know, once saved, always saved. And, you know, we're good to go. But don't forget, just look at Judas. Look at Judas among the 12. And Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And that includes Judas. Remember who he spoke to. So what happened to Judas? And so when we account for the full counsel of the word of God, we see that in Hebrews 3, that we're warned to exhort one another daily, lest we fall away from the living God with a hardening of the heart. You see, that's what happens. A heart can become harder. And a lot of times Christians think, okay, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. I'm good to go. Well, praise the Lord. You might be good to go. But at the same time, it's like, okay, don't stop. Don't stop. You might be 25 years old and think, wow, I'm good to go. You might be 15 years old and think, wow, I'm good to go. You might be 30, 40 years old and think, wow, I'm good to go. But until your last dying breath, we honor the Lord. You see, lives that live to honor Jesus Christ in praise of him, to glorify him. Because in Hebrews 3, you know, the warning is to exhort one another daily lest we fall away from the living God with the hardening of the heart. And then in Acts chapter 1, we see that Judas fell by transgression. You see, his heart became hard. 
And in, in Luke 22, we see the result. Satan entered Judas. And he was numbered among the 12. Remember, Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Eklagomai. And among the chosen, in, 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 among the 12 disciples, is Judas. And Satan entered him. You see? And then we see the other end result in Matthew 27 in Acts chapter 1 where Judas hung himself and then his body falls off the tree and his entrails spill out. You see? And don't forget, Judas, he walked with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. And don't forget, as New Covenant believers, we absolutely have promises in the Lord and from the Lord. And it's for the Lord. But at the same time, there is effectuation of promise. And what are those things that impact effectuation of promise? Obedience. Obedience. It's what Brother James writes to us about. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study in the book of James. Package deal. Faith and works are inseparable. Very important to understand. Belief and obedience, inseparable. You see? Go back and listen to our study through the book of James. If you haven't heard our study in the book of James, go back and listen. Everything is housed for you. Everything is resourced for you. Go and listen to the book of James. And so when you hear us make these exhortations for you to stay in a fellowship where the formula is right. And sometimes, you know, that's received with mocking laughter. There's certain platforms, you know, mostly among like, you know, uh, the young theologians and you know, certain platforms where we have an engaging and, you know, just a little side note, those plat some of those platforms have been shut down. Some of those platforms have been shut down. And another little side note, go to thewayunderground.com, thewayunderground.com, and then go to the preparation area. Very important to understand. We have all these resources for you, thewayunderground.com, and then go to the preparation area. But, you know, sometimes when we make these exhortations to stay in a fellowship where the formula is right, and then you get the mockers, you know, like, how dare you say that? You know, who do you think you are? How dare you say that? Because let's look at the landscape of the, 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 the world that we live in today. And there are churches everywhere. Churches everywhere and pastors everywhere. One church might have five pastors. One church might have eight pastors. One church might have 10 pastors. But you have all these churches everywhere. And look at all the overseers and the pastors and the elders. They're everywhere. But understand that we as believers were instructed to exhort one another daily. Daily. And in Hebrews 3, what we see here is that to exhort one another daily is to prevent the falling away. You see? But the formula must be right. The formula must be right. Because daily exhortation in Laodicea profits nothing. You see? Daily exhortation in Laodicea, where Jesus is on the outside. It's a church, church of Laodicea. Daily exhortation in Laodicea, it profits nothing. But daily exhortation in Smyrna, Philadelphia, you see, the formula is right. And when the formula is right, there is effectuation of promise. Very important. And so understand that for us to have these instructions in the Holy Bible and to have churches and to have pastors and to have teachers everywhere you would think that apostasy would be impossible because 
There's churches everywhere. There's pastors everywhere. And you would think that apostasy is impossible. And yet, it's not just possible. It's prophesied. It will come to pass. The falling away will happen. And it's already begun. You see? And so daily exhortation among the remnant, not Laodicea, among the remnant, Philadelphia, Smyrna, make it customary. Make it very customary because we're living in very, very dark times, very, very evil times, and it's only going to get worse. Face-to-face fellowship. There's a reason why we say the things we say is to prepare the saints. And so the pneumos, the spirit realm, is very active and ultra active in the last days where there's straight up war that is raging, a battle for the hearts of men. But I have some questions. Where are the warriors? Where are the teachers? Where are the pastors? Be very careful when it comes to the pneumos because, you know, when it comes to the pneumos, it can be very beautiful or it can be very terrible. It's the matter of formula. You see, the formula in you, the formula in me, the formula in we, it has to be right in accordance to the word of God. The full counsel of the word of God, the formula has to be right because you look at the book of Judges. You look at the book of Judges and they're in the promised land, but you see oppression. They're in the promised land and you see death. They're in the promised land. And you see how the Lord is the one who brings death upon Israel when they treat holy things like the good luck charm. Remember our study in 1 Samuel? You see, nothing new under the sun. And Brother Paul says, and Peter, that the things written of old were written for us, to warn us. And so here we are in Mark chapter 5. But, you know, there's also something that must be said before we continue. Uh, But in Mark 5, in verse 2, we see unclean spirit. You see mention of the unclean spirit, singular. And not to get ahead of ourselves here, but so in Mark 2, we see unclean spirits, singular. And, you know, not to get ahead, but we see in verse 13, we see unclean spirits, plural. And then in verse 15, we see demon possessed, which singular. But then in verse 12, we see demons, plural. Very interesting what we see here. Very interesting what we see because sometimes you see pastors and they make it seem like the unclean spirit is okay. And, you know, demonic possession is impossible for the believer. Demonic possession, you know, if if, uh, the unclean spirit, you know, that's okay. But, you know, when it comes to the demons, you know, that's a different ballgame. But here in Mark chapter 5, we start to see, wait a second. Wait a second. We see unclean spirits, singular. We see spirits, plural. We see demon possessed, singular. And then we see the demons, plural. So what does that mean? It means when you're open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. You see, we have to be wise. We have to understand what the word of God says. It's like warfare. Take take hardcore warfare, a severe battle environment, according to the flesh, according to, to, to Adam. And I'm not advocating war in any way, shape, or form of the flesh. I'm not advocating war of the flesh. But we live in a world where there is war in, in the, the physical realm among men, among Adam. Now, 
if there's a hardcore battle on the other side of the world, we have to be ready. If we're, if we're called to go and engage in that fight, we have to be ready for that fight. You see? We have to be ready for that fight and prepared for that fight. And yes, there are singular responsibilities, but then there's also plural responsibilities. You see? For the sake of the team, for the sake of the mission, for the sake of the goals. And that's for victory. That's if we want to win. You see? And that's in the ways of Adam. But how much more, how much more when it comes to matters of the faith? You see, it's very important to see. And we look at Judas. We look at Judas. He walked with Jesus among the 12 where Jesus, you know, Judas was one of the guys who Jesus says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Eklagomai. And a lot of times Christians lean on that and they say, you know, like, you know, I didn't choose God. You know, God chose me. And you see that among the Calvinists and the Reformed. You see, and there are assurances that, yes, you know, it's like a husband and wife. You know, before there's husband and wife, then, you know, I, I, the, the, the guy doesn't just, you know, pull up in a car and say, hey, I choose you as my wife and then pick her up and throw her in the car and boom, he's got a wife. No, 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 no. A guy can choose, you know, hey, I choose you as wife, but then the wife has a choice to make. You see? Or the, the woman, they're not married yet, but, you know, the, the guy says, hey, I want you to be my wife. And the girl could say, like, you know, hey, go fly a kite. No, that's not happening. Or she can say, you know, okay, you know, and the marriage happened. You know, that's an oversimplification, but the same thing applies to us. Remember, the marriage supper has not happened. It is a pending event. When people refer to the church as the bride of Christ, that's very forward-looking because the wedding hasn't happened. Very important to understand the sequence of events according to the Word of God. Now, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we wouldn't get have to get into the nitty-gritty even though, you know, growth and maturity is a good thing and having these the depth of understanding, it's a good thing. But in these last days, where is understanding? Where is understanding? You see? And so you have pastors today who make it sound like, you know, unclean spirits are perfectly okay. But we read the Bible and we see unclean spirits and things of the demonic realm and being open to the pneumos. Listen, don't play around with those things. Don't play around with those things. The Ouija boards, things of the occult. Don't play around with those things. And then the things that can open the door to the demonic realm. The sexual sin, you know, pornography, the strippers, the prostitutes, the things that can open you up to the, the, the demonic realm, like the alcohol and the, the drugs, you know. You see how like marijuana is a gateway drug to deeper things, to the crack, to the cocaine, you know, to the mushrooms, to the quaaludes, to all kinds of different things. And it opens you up to the pneumos. And when you're open to the pneumos, it's like that battlefield. You know, if we're called to go fight on the other side of the world, hey, we got to be ready. We got to be equipped. You see? And a lot of times what happens is that people, they open themselves up to the pneumos. And listen, if you're not prepared for that, if you're not abiding in Christ, you're going to lose. You see? You and me, we have to make sure that you and me, that we're abiding in Christ. Christ. And when there's face-to-face -face fellowship, the remnant caring for the remnant, 
You know what there also is? The daily exhortation. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, sister, how you doing? You see? Hey, let's pray. A daily exhortation. Face to face among the remnant. Because these days are evil. It helps prevent the falling away. You see? It helps mitigate the falling away. You see, the Word of God has these safeguards in place. The remnant caring for the remnant. And you would think, if if churches are just, you know, run-of-the-mill, you know, church over here, church over there, no big deal. Look, there's churches everywhere. There's pastors everywhere. There's teachers everywhere. And you would think with this plethora of teachers and pastors and ministries and churches, you would think apostasy is impossible. But yet the prophecy states that there will be a falling away. You see? And so we have to understand, you know, last week when we look at chapter 4, we see a picture of the pneumos and what happens with the seed and what Satan does and what the demonic realm does. But at the same time, the Lord Jesus, he gives us another picture, another aspect of the battlefield of spiritual warfare. And so this man here in, in, in Mark 5, the man with the unclean spirit comes up to Jesus. In verse 3, we see this. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. You see? And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And this is something common with demonic possession and the unclean spirits. You know what that is? Superhuman strength. Crazy, crazy strong. Superhuman strength. You know, ask a cop. If you know a cop, ask a cop. They know all about it. Where it takes eight strong men, cops. Strong men. And it takes eight of them. They're all police officers. It takes eight of them to apprehend one person. These strong men, they can't even get the guy's one hand. They can't even get it behind his back because he has super superhuman strength. You see? Because they have a demon. A little old lady with her little noodle arms and these big strong men, they cannot physically arrest her because she's too strong for them. Because of the demon. Ask a cop. You know, you're at the coffee shop. Excuse me, officer. You know, I was listening to my pastor. I was listening to this Bible study. I was listening to this sermon online. And he was talking about the demons. How when they possess a person. They possess a person. And the person has superhuman strength. You know, tell me, officer. Have you ever, ever experienced somebody that's with superhuman strength? And they'll tell you, absolutely. The drug addicts. People who are open to the pneumos. They'll tell you, absolutely. These people are strong, crazy strength. It's, it's, it's not human. It's supernatural. It's demonic. And then you ask the cop, hey, cop, did you know that this was uh, demonic? They might say, yeah. They might say, no. And if they say, no, you tell them about the Lord. Very important. We're living in the last days. And so this particular man here in Mark chapter 5, he's dwelling in a cemetery and he's among the tombs. That's where his home is. He's homeless. He doesn't have like a home home, but he lives with the tombs. He's homeless. And when you read certain accounts in, in the Gospels, you know, Dr. Dr. Luke, Luke's account, you know, he says, hey, the guy's homeless. You see? 
And so we see that he's often was bound with shackles and chains. But you see that in a way, you kind of see how society gave up on him. Society kind of gave up on this guy because, you know, oh, you know, we used to chain him up. We used to chain him up, but, you know, he kept breaking them. So now we just leave him over there. You know, no one can tame him. He's untamable. No one can tame him. And today people sing, there's like, you know, uh, pop songs, you know, pop the uh, pop music and songs about, you know, uh, not being tame. Things that are demonic, they're celebrated. We're living in the last days. We have to understand the times. And so we see here in verse 5, and always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Very interesting what we see. And I want to say something to my forgotten friends who are listening. You know, you hear us say, you know, in, in reference to this particular individual in Mark 5, that society gave up on this person. And you might be listening and that hits close to home. Because you might be listening and start thinking, or maybe not start thinking, but maybe already know that, you know what? Society gave up on me. And maybe it's not society per se. Maybe it's parents. Oh, my parents have given up on me. My classmates have given up on me. My school counselors, they're supposed to help me. But no, they gave up on me. And you feel that, you know, everyone's given up on you. And sometimes I have these conversations with kids, teenagers, and kids who cut themselves. They become cutters, you see? And when I have these conversations with kids, the teenagers, and they cut themselves, you know, they pull up their sleeve and they show me all the lines on their wrist and the lines on their arms, and it's like, whoa. And then they start to tell me, you know, yeah, it helps me cope with the pain and the sorrow. Let me tell you something. If you're listening and these very words are hitting very close to home, let me tell you why the demons like it when the people cut themselves or when people self-mutilate. The demons like it a lot. The demons love it. And they seduce into these behaviors for a reason. They know that you're created in the image of God. They know. They know that you're created in the image of God. And they influence. They influence to mutilate the image of God. You see? The entire end goal is to destroy the image of God. And you know what that is? It's you. Because you're created in the image of God. And I've had these conver long conversations with teenagers. Male and female. Adults. Male and female. And it's like, well, they show me the cuts. Like, whoa, what's happening? And for a young person, their eyes get like saucers. You know, a 17-year-old, their eyes get like saucers. Like, did you know that you're created in the image of God? And their eyes are like, what? What are you talking about? And Satan wants to destroy you. The demons, they want to kill you. They want you dead. The unclean spirits, the demons, they're going to whisper to you. And, you know, you're going to be in sorrow and you're going to be in pain. Listen. It's part of the human experience, our emotions. Yes, there's joy. Yes, there's happiness. And yes, there's gladness. And those are good things. But at the same time, there's the other end of the spectrum when it comes to emotions, which is pain, sorrow, hurt, 
and with all our emotions, 100%, and the entire spectrum, the good, the bad, the ugly, we go to the Lord. You see, we go to the Lord. And the, in the pneumos, in the demonic realm, what happens? They're going to see, oh, look, you know, he's hurting. Oh, look, she's in pain. Oh, look, she's sad. And then they're going to seduce. They're going to seduce. Hey, look, take a hit of this. Take a little swig of this. And you know what happens? The sorrow, the pain, it gets worse. It gets deeper and deeper. It gets worse. And then the demons, they're going to whisper, why don't you just cut yourself? You see? And then time passes. Why don't you start cutting yourself deeper? And then time passes. And the whispers become more frequent and more intense. Cut deeper. Cut deeper. Understand what's happening in the demonic realm and the pneumos? They're trying to kill you. They're trying to kill you. And they might just go for the jugular and say, Listen, instead of cutting, why don't you just jump off this bridge? You see? And they like it when you bleed. You know why? Because they know that life is in the blood. They're draining you of life. They're attempting to. That's what they do in the demonic realm. They'll whisper sweet nothings to you. Because they want to kill you. Remember last week. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study last week. Because our Lord teaches us about the seed. And what happens in the pneumos, in the demonic realm, in the spirit realm. In the spirit realm. And in the spirit realm, there is both good and bad. There's the Holy Spirit. And then there's the evil spirits. It's very important to understand. The angelic realm. Things of the spirit. And so when you have these emotions. And sometimes people try to hide it. And be like, okay, you know where, you know, if I get sad, then, you know, it, it's not good for me. So and they try really hard. I'm not going to get sad. I'm not going to get sad. I'm not going to listen. It's part of life. You're going to have sorrow or anger. Okay, you know, I have problems with anger, so, you know, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. In two seconds, you're going to get angry because, you know, that makes you mad. It's part of the human experience. In our sorrow, in our pain, in our hurt, in our anger, in our joy, in our love, you know what? We go to the Lord. We're created in His image. We go to the source. We go to him. And so if you're listening and you're like, wow, you know what? Society gave up on me. My family gave up on me. My classmates, my parents, they gave up on me. And it's like, wow, you're cutting. You're listening to that voice. You know, cut deeper, cut deeper, cut yourself, cut yourself. And, you know, you look at your arm, you look at your legs, you look at, you know, and you see all the lines, the scars there because you've been cutting You've been listening to the wrong voice. You've been listening to the wrong whisper. And it's not to take away. It's not to like, you know, put a bandaid over the sorrow and take put a bandaid over the pain. No, it's to say, listen, let's take your sorrow and let's take your pain. And let me also say something to you. Let me also whisper to you. And this is what I say. Walk with me. That's it. Nothing fancy. Just, you know, let's go for a walk. You and me. Walk with me. Because there is a better way. And sometimes, you know, when I have these conversations, especially with teenagers, sometimes it's the young adults, you know, on the, uh, you know, in, in various situations. But most of the times it's with the teenagers. Very, very sad. Very, very depressed. 
And it's not to say, well, you know, your depression is nothing. Your sorrow is nothing. No, you can't invalidate emotions. When people do that, they make a huge mistake. They make it worse. You cannot invalidate emotions because, you know, if you're listening and you're a teenager and you see the adults, you know, the, the dumb adults, that's one of the, the biggest shocks. When I became an adult, it's one of the biggest shocks. Like, wow, there's a lot of stupid people here in the adult world. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like, wow, you know what? You know, like, you know, I'm a kid. I don't know everything. I don't know this. And so there's at least an excuse for being stupid because you just don't know. But when I became adults, like, wow, there's a lot of stupid people. Like 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds. Like, oh my, I can't believe how dumb these people are. And so if you're listening, you're a teenager and you're like, you know, you go to the adults and the adults tell you, well, you know, what are you depressed about? You're depressed about nothing. What are you sad about? You have sorrow over nothing. But that's your sorrow. That's your pain. That's what you feel based on, you know, I know people that, you know, like a a big guy, a big friend of mine, you punch him. Yeah, he can take a punch. But then you go to somebody else, you punch him like that. No, you're going to knock him out. And so people, how something impacts them is specific to them. And so you might have sorrow. You might have pain. Listen, we take it to the Lord. And so that's why we gently say, hey, let's take a walk, you and me. There is a better way. And listen, if, you, if you're listening and you have that sorrow, you have that depression, you have that pain, I'm telling you this with several failed suicides in my past. You see? And the first step in you and me taking this walk, the first step in you and me taking this journey, you hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. That's the first step for you to take. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. You go to the creator. You go to the one who made you. You go to the one in whose image you are made. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Because you know what? I tell you the truth. I tell you from experience. I had my sorrow. I had my pain. The kind that, you know, with my failed suicides. And I gave it to the Lord. And what the Lord does, he changes it. He takes it and he says, here's joy. Here's gladness. And it's not gladness and joy that's from the world. It's from the Lord. It's holy. I tell you these things from experience. And sometimes when I have these conversations with the kids and the teenagers and, you know, adults even, the the depression. Sometimes like, what are you talking about? You're oversimplifying. But Jesus is the one. He doesn't say, come to me. And before you come to me, you have to get, you know, get 100% on this calculus exam. He doesn't say that. He just says, come to me. That's it. Come to me. And that's why we say the first step in this journey, you and me walking together, because listen, we're going to paradise. We're going to paradise. It's not of this world. We're in this world presently, but we're not of this world. We're just passing by. And if that's you, you want to trade your your sorrow in for joy the same way I did, you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ, you commit your life to Christ, you come back, you listen, we journey together, we continue our journey. And if you're listening for the first time, we start our journey today, right here, right now. Let today be the day of salvation. Very important to understand what the Word of God teaches us. And so let's see what happens in our study here in Mark chapter 5. You know, you were, were near the water and from the tombs, look what happens here in verse six. 
when he saw Jesus from afar, so with the, the guy with the unclean spirits who, you know, was homeless, but Dr. Luke's account, he's homeless. And then, you know, he had the unclean spirits and the chains couldn't hold him. He couldn't be tamed. And he saw Jesus from afar. And in verse six, he ran and worshiped him. He ran and worshiped him. Now we can read this and think, wow, you know, this is a good thing. You know, he's worshiping Jesus. And you know what? It is a good thing to worship Jesus. But there's a problem here. There's a problem. The man has demons. And we see something deep here as the Lord starts, starts to show us things about the pneumos. And there's the act of worship. And then there's what the Bible says is real worship. You see? And biblical worship, it's done, as the Bible says, in spirit and in truth. You see? And I'm not saying that this man here is putting on an act because we're going to see that he will be healed. But healing has a very specific formula and it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the biblical Jesus, the biblical Jesus that Jesus, you know, as revealed in his word. Because remember, one of the signs of the last days is there's going to be many Christ. The disciples ask Jesus, you know, tell us what is the sign of your coming and the end of the age. And Jesus, the biblical Jesus says, hey, there's going to be many Christs, many Christs propagated by many false teachers, many false prophets. And so when we understand that there are many Christs, which will we follow? And not just which will we follow, which will we bow to? Which will we worship? And then, you know, you look at that and it's like, well, that sounds kind of dangerous. If there's many Christ, you know, we always like to paint this picture of, you know, a thousand Christ, a lineup of a thousand Christ, a thousand Christ. There's a lineup of a thousand. 999 are going to take you to hell. 999 you bow and worship that christ no you're gonna burn in hell but with one entry into paradise you see with one there's a greater intimacy there's a deep intimacy and the biblical jesus tells us hey there's going to be many christ and don't forget his word is above his name that's what the bible says his word is above his name and that's how we'll know we worship the Lord in spirit, not alone, in spirit and in truth. You see? In spirit and in truth. To worship the biblical Jesus can never, ever, ever exclude truth. Never. Because that's how we worship him. In spirit and in truth. Now, a fake Jesus will say, oh yeah, you know what? Go ahead and do your sex. Go ahead and do your crack. Go ahead, go ahead and do the Ouija boards. You see, go ahead and do the things of the occult. Oh, yeah, you'll be you'll be fine. You're fine with Jesus. That's what the fake Jesus was, would say that. That's what Paul was afraid of. And Peter and John and James. That's what that, that was their phobia. Remember when Paul, you know, he explains his phobia. He says, I'm afraid. He says, I'm not, I'm not afraid for me. And he doesn't say that to boast like, you know, oh, look at me. I'm so awesome. No, 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 no. He says, I'm afraid. 
Because the preacher guys are going to come in with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. And I'm afraid. You know why, guys? This is what Paul says to the saints. You know why I'm going to be afraid, you guys? He says, when these imposters, when, when these imposters, when they come in the church, you're going to put up with it. You're going to welcome, you're going to roll out the red carpet for them. You see? And you're going to put up with it. And that's why I'm afraid. That's why I have my phobia. And that's how the word translates. Phobia. Paul was explaining his phobia to the saints in, in Corinth, in Galatia. And in Galatia, they were already turning away. Paul was like, I'm blown away, you guys. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Jesus, the biblical Jesus. You see? Very important for us to understand. And so many people today worship, but they worship outside of truth and outside of spirit. And that cannot be done. That cannot be done because remember the lineup of a thousand Christ, 999, they're going to take you to hell. But with one, there's only one that you and me are biblically supposed to worship. You see? We cannot worship the Lord outside of truth. We cannot worship the Lord outside of the spirit. And listen, if you're listening and you're like, whoa, you know what? That's me. If you're listening and you're starting to realize that it's you, listen, I love you. I love you. I lo More than you know, I love you. The demons, they're not going anywhere. You see, they're not going anywhere. You have demons and you worship with Osteen. You have demons and you go worship with Joyce Meyer. You have demons and you go worship with Pastor Hin. You have demons and you go worship with good old Mac with his study Bible. Listen, I love you. But the demons and the unclean spirits, they're not going anywhere. You see? The demons, they hear a pastor say that gifts and the power of them and the, the moving of the Holy Spirit that, oh, you know, that was for 2000 years ago. That was another dispensation. The demons hear pastors say that and they laugh. They laugh because saints are tricked. Saints are snookered and saints are rendered powerless, powerless. And then the demons, they're very pleased to realize like, wow, you know, this pastor's on, on our side, you see, and they serve their father, the devil. Very important to understand. And so our Lord is giving us a little picture of the pneumos, the spirit realm. And there's nothing wrong with the spirit realm when the formula is right. But if the formula is wrong, whew, no victory. When the formula is wrong, it's where you see oppression. When the formula is wrong, it's where you see possession, you see? And that's why a lot of times you see basket case believers. Basket case believers straight up. It's because they have no victory. And I don't mean basket case believers to sound mean like, oh my goodness, he's calling Christians basket cases. Listen, I don't say that to sound mean or anything, but listen, I call it like I see it. I call it like I see it. And you can see like, wow, you know, this guy's a basket case. This lady's a basket case, but she goes to church. He goes to church. They're supposed to have victory in Christ. You see? But you see basket case believers and you also see habitual sin. 
habitual sin with the sex and the drugs and the alcohol. He's like, wait a second, this guy's like a basket case. And you see the habitual sin. Sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a, you know, multiple factors. Sometimes it's the sex and the drugs and the alcohol and the Ouija boards, you see, and the gambling and all, and this and that. It's like, whoa. And you start to see, well, there's no victory. The Bible says that we live victoriously. The Bible says that we will have victory. But then you look, it's like, whoa, this guy doesn't have victory. And you might be listening. You're like, whoa, you know what? I don't have victory. It's why you see unanswered prayers in the Bible where believers, Christians, where the Bible says, you know, anything you ask and my father will give to you. Our Lord says that. But then you see Christians where Christians pray and nothing happens. You see, wrong formula. It's what Brother James writes about. Remember Brother James? Like you, you ask and you don't receive. And Brother James says, you know why? Because when you ask, you ask amiss. You know what he says? You ask and you don't receive. Why? Because wrong formula. It all boils down to formula. It has to be right. A very, very special, holy formula inside of you, inside of me, inside of the remnant. It's very important to understand we are in the last days. It's not a time to play games. And not saying that it was, you know, 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, that it was okay to play games. But now more than ever, hey, do not play games with the Lord. And so you see this man with the unclean spirit. He goes and, you know, in verse 6, he sees Jesus from afar and then he runs and worships him. And let's see what happens here in verse 7. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. Wow, very interesting. Very interesting what we see here. Notice, he says, do not torment me. Very interesting. Now, let me ask a question. Where is it in the Bible where do we see Jesus torment? Where? We see a place in the Bible. We see a place where there is torment, but that's a place where there is the absence of God. Where do we see Jesus actually torment? You're not going to find that in the Bible. And it's very interesting to see how both man and angel are deceived. Fallen angels in the form of demons. Don't forget, Lucifer, he deceived even the angels. And not one angel, not two angels, not ten angels. No, one third of all the angels he deceived. Where they defected away from the Most High God and they submitted themselves to, to Lucifer. And in the demonic realm, you know, do not, you know, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. But where in the Bible do you see Jesus torment? You see? You don't see Jesus torment. It's not in the Bible. But in the Bible, you see what biblical torment is. You know what it is? It's the absence of God. The absence of the Lord. And that's what torment is. But you never see Jesus in the Bible torment you see and it's very important to have this understanding to see how lucifer deceives 
And remember, he doesn't just deceive men. No, he deceived even the angels. One third, not one angel, not two angels. One third of the angels. Now, if you're listening, be certain, be certain, be certain. I don't want to say I command you to do this, but be certain to listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and all the way to Jude chapter 1. Because, you know, we study these things to help us understand the pneumos. And when we're open to the pneumos, the spirit realm, we have to be equipped. We have to be equipped because anybody who's open to the pneumos and enters the pneumos, the spirit realm, if it's done outside of Christ, no victory, no victory. It's going to be loss upon loss upon loss leading to death. You see, so we have to make sure that you and me together were abiding in Christ. And when you're in a fellowship, in fellowship face-to-face with the remnant, very important to understand those daily exhortations. Exhort one another daily. Not exhort one another, you know, once a month. Exhort one another once a year. No, no, no. Exhort one another daily. It prevents falling away. You see? And when you understand formula, you realize like, well, I can't, I can't be in a church that's, you know, a Laodicea. You see, you have to look for a church and pray for a church that's Philadelphia, that's Smyrna. You see, very rare, very, very rare, very rare, even more. I mean, 10 years ago, it was very rare, but even more so in these last days, you see. And so here we are in verse seven. Now, notice that what we see here in verse 7, it was in response to verse 8, what Jesus had spoken, because in verse 8 we see, for he had said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit, exclamation point. So if we were to look at this in the order of sequence, where the man runs from the tombs to the water, and he reaches Jesus and worships him, and then Jesus says, come out of the man, unclean spirit, And then we see a refusal, a very temporary demonic refusal. You know, he asks, you know, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And so we see this demonic refusal and a demonic stronghold here. Now, for me, for me, I have a pain for this man, you know, the, the, this man that we see among the tombs. I have a, I have a pain for him because we, we see a duality of man in a sense where the man is in and out of himself, where, you know, uh, the, the demons one moment have a stronghold on him where he's cutting himself and, you know, fighting people off who are trying to chain him and shackle him and Night and day, we read in verse 5 that he's crying out and cutting himself. And then I start to wonder about this particular man. Is this a demonic cry? The crying out that we see in verse 5? Or is it the man's cry for help? Where he's in himself crying out. 
And then the demon kicks in and he starts to cut himself. You see? In himself, you know, he's at the tombs. He looks down at the water. He's in himself for a brief moment of time. He's in himself. He sees Jesus and boom, he straight up runs to Jesus. And falls down to worship Jesus. And then, you know, Jesus says, come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then, boom, immediate demonic resistance. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? You see, the stronghold and the stranglehold in the man. And you know what blows me away? Here we are in Mark chapter 5. But what blows me away is the inability of man to help this soul. The inability of the religious establishment to help him to address what was really going on. I mean, how long was he here living among the tombs? Was he there for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years, a couple decades? How long has he been there? And the whole time, everyone was powerless to help him. The religious establishment, completely powerless. And I want to say something about the homeless community. About the homeless community. Remember, Dr. Luke, when he records this, he says the guy's homeless and he lives in the, in the cemetery. He lives with the tombs. Now, according to statistics about the homeless community, according to statistics, 80% of the homeless population, they want to be there. According to statistics, they want to be there. And it's because of the drugs. Not a care in life. Not a care in life because they can do their drugs right there on the street. And you see the rise of the homeless communities in certain cities. And we start to see cities, they start to rot and they start to decay. And let's put aside the, the politics. Put aside the politics and the corruption of politicians who serve themselves. I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you look at a city and you look at their initiatives for the homeless, you know, $5,000 for a one-person tent. $5,000 for a one-person tent. In certain cities, it's even higher in some cities. But $5,000 for a one-person tent. And when you see that, you know there's corruption in the seats of power. You know there's corruption where a one-person tent costs 100 bucks. You know, maybe a little less, maybe a little more. A one-person tent costs 100 bucks. Where's the rest of the money going? Where's the rest of the 5000 And that's, you know, that's a conservative figure. Sometimes it's even more, $10,000 per tent. Where's that money going? Who's pocketing the rest? Who's making the big campaign contributions? You see, the politicians speak about homelessness. Oh, we're going to help these people. We're going to help these people. We're going to fight against that. We're going to fight against this. And yes, we're, we're for them. We're with you. And then they get voted into office. They get voted at the seats of power. And the people get snookered into the lie. Oh, yeah, really, really good guys. Or she's a really good gal. They're going to help the homeless community. And, you know, we see the rise of homelessness and, oh, yeah, we need to do something. So I'm going to vote for this guy. I'm going to vote for this lady. And they're really going to help. When the whole time it's a ploy for money and power, corruption. You see, they like the homeless community. They really like the homeless community. You see, because they can make a lot of money off their back. And we haven't even mentioned, you know, the dark money and the drug trade. You see, corruption begets corruption. It gets worse and worse and worse. And then you have Christians who are deceived too. 
You have Christians who are deceived. And Christians who just figure, you know what? I'm going to go feed the homeless. And then, you know, the believers get deceived by doing something that they think to be right. Because, you know, I'm going to go feed the homeless. And the homeless person has food in his belly. The homeless person has food in her belly. And they just think, wow, it's a good thing. But understand, any and every ministry must also present the door, capital D, and we speak of Jesus. Every single ministry must also present the door, capital D. And when there's entry into the door, every ministry must also have a means for maturity and growth in Christ. Otherwise, bellies, they get nice and full while a person continues on the path to destruction. You see, nice full belly, but they're still going to burn in hell. And a lot of Christians, what happens is a lot of Christians, what they're not prepared for is when the demons fight back. When the demon makes a stand, just like we see in this particular demon who questions Jesus. You see, when the demons make their stand, and a lot of Christians aren't prepared for that fight, you see. Now, this isn't to speak negatively about, you know, if the Lord puts it on your heart to go and work with the homeless community. But understand, if it's a matter of putting food in their belly, no, 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 no. Remember, the door has to be presented. And not just the door, but the, the means for growth and maturity. So you put food in the belly, but also plant seeds in the heart. Very important to understand. Plant seeds in the heart. That's ministry. Otherwise, if you remove the seed and just put food in the belly, you know what that is? Habitat for humanity. You see? Habitat for humanity. Yeah, we're taking care of humanity, but they're still going to burn in hell. You see? There has to be the seed. Very important to understand. This is where a lot of ministries get into big trouble. Big, big, big trouble. Because they enter the pneumos. And they lose. Because it's the wrong formula. Very specific formula for the warriors. Very, very specific formula for victory. And it's got to be right for victory. I mean, just like we see in, in the Old Testament. You see victory with Israel. And then you see defeat with Israel. And you know what the difference is? Formula. You see, it's got to be right. Very important to understand. You might be listening and, you know, now, you know, you, the homeless people now, they got the cell phones. Gover the government gives you cell phones, smartphones, nice ones too. And so you might be listening and you're homeless and you're on the street and you're like, wow, this, this guy, like, it sounds like he hates the homeless. You know, he's like, talking like, you know, the homeless, like 80% want to be here. And you're like, wow, you know, I don't want to be here. But according to statistics, we make very explicitly clear, according to statistics, 80%, 80%, they want to be there in the streets. Why? So they can do their drugs. And I'm not saying if you're listening and you're homeless and you're like, wow, you know what? I don't want to be here. And I've had these conversations with people who are, you know, addicts, drug addicts. And they tell me, you know, I have this lifestyle. I have my addictions and I don't want to be in these addictions but you know what? It's got me. It's got me. I can't help it. And that's what addiction does. Very important to understand if you're homeless, listen. 
hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. If you're homeless, listen to the message, hit pause, listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now, because there's absolutely healing in Christ. Absolutely. 100%. There is healing in Christ. But just like that lineup of a thousand Christ, you're not going to have healing with the 999. You will not. You're just going to find deeper and darker and worse oppression. And then it opens the door to possession. You see, very important to understand how the word of God teaches us. And this is where harm can come to believer, to, to the believer and also the non-believer. I mean, in both cases, no one is equipped. You see, no one is equipped. And if you're homeless, you're presently homeless, no, listen, you come to Christ. You come to Christ, you grow and you mature in Christ. And you know what happens? It's supernatural. The Lord will clean you and things just start to happen. Things just start to happen and it's supernatural. But what happens with Christians, a lot of times Christians, they just figure, you know what, I'm going to go and feed the homeless and they go and feed the homeless and they're unequipped for the pneumos. And not too long ago, there was a homeless guy. He killed another person that was trying to help him. And you know how he killed him? He ate his face. He ate his face straight up. He knocked the guy out and he started to bite and tear away flesh from his face. And he was eating the flesh. Very powerful demonic forces in play. Very powerful. Not all powerful, not almighty, but there are very strong demonic forces in play. And believers are unequipped. And it's only going to get worse and worse and worse. And prophetically speaking, Satan is going to prevail against the saints. Satan and the demonic realm, they're going to prevail against the saints. You see, in the pneumos, and when you look at the prophecies of the last day, the pneumos will overlap into the, like, not the real world, but like the actual physical world. Because the real world is the pneumos. You see, this world that we see with our eyes, no, we're not of, we're not here. We're going to paradise, but it's very important to understand the pneumos and being equipped and being ready, abiding in Christ, exhorting one another daily. Very serious aspects of spiritual warfare, and yet believers are unequipped. You see? Then you have pastors, you know, start to nullify the power of the Holy Spirit. And they say, oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The gifts and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. And so Christians, they start to think, wow, you know what? If, if this happened in the book of Acts, but it's not for today, it's like, okay, I guess it's not going to work for me. I guess it's not happening for me. And then they, they're open to the pneumos and boom, defeat. You see, it's so simple. It's so simple. It's very intricate, but it's, it's simple. It's very intricate. We have to have this understanding. And so here with Jesus, you know, you see this demonic refusal where you see a stronghold in the man who ran to Jesus. And Jesus asked him a question in verse 9. And then he asked him, what's your name? 
See, we see here in verse 9, you know, come out of the man, unclean spirit. But then all of a sudden, the demon responds and, you know, said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. And so Jesus posing this question, he says in verse 9, then he asks him, what is your name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion. For we are many, you see, many demons in one vessel. This poor guy. This poor, poor, poor man. And now, instead of resisting Jesus, where you see that momentary resistance, like, you know, who are you? You know, don't torment, don't don't torment me. I implore you. And now you see that instead of resisting the Lord, and now the tables turn. In verse 10, also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Very interesting what we see. He begged him. He begged him not to send him out of the country. The demon begs Jesus, you know, don't send me out of the country. Very interesting. Why is it that this particular demon, Legion is his name, who are many? Why does he want to stay here in the country? And so we see here in verse 11 now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. And we see our answer. We see a little picture start to emerge of what's happening. This isn't one pig. This isn't 10 pigs. This is a large herd of swine, which means there are herdsmen of swine. And if there's herdsmen, it indicates something else is at play. Industry. Industry. Industry in this particular region of an animal that, according to the law, an animal that is unclean. You see what we're starting to see? Why is there a market for something unclean? You see, I mean, we see the supply side. We see the the herd of pigs. We see the supply side. But that indicates something else. The demand. The demand for something unclean. It's just like Judges. It's just like our study in the book of Judges where we have the priesthood. We have the Levites. We have the Kohanim. But where in the world is Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan? Where can that be found? You see, and if you're listening, you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to our study through the book of Leviticus. You'll understand. And so all the demons begged him in verse 12. All the demons begged Jesus saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. So before one demon was speaking as representative, we are legion. But now all the demons are speaking, send us to the swine. You see? And this poor man, my heart breaks for him. The one who had his home with the tombs. Dr. Luke says he's homeless. He doesn't have a home like everybody else. He's with the tombs. He's at the cemetery. And my heart hurts for him because the demons tell Jesus, don't torment me. Don't torment me. And you never see in the Bible Jesus tormenting anybody. We know that hell and the lake of fire that's a place. You know what the torment is? It's the absent of God. 
But you never see in the Bible Jesus torment anybody. And the demons say to Jesus, don't torment me. But what have they been doing to the man? What have they been doing to him? He's been cutting himself. He's been under their torment. And in this brief moment of sobriety, where the man sees Jesus and runs to Jesus and worships Jesus, and remember, our Lord, he is a rewarder of faith. And I've had these conversations with people who are involved with drugs, both the user side and the dealer side. And of the user side, there's one particular individual. And I was speaking, and this particular individual was in tears. And then this individual says, I can't stop using. I can't stop using. In tears, I can't stop using. The, the stronghold was so strong for this person. Too strong for this person. Understand that drug use... Drug use, it opens the door to the pneumos. And a lot of times you see kids, they're like, oh, it's just marijuana, no big deal. Listen, the marijuana of today is not like it was in the, in the 60s, in the 70s. No, it's a different concoction now. And not to say that in the 60s it was okay, but it's way different now. It's laced with all kinds of different things. But when you open to the pneumos, you're open to the pneumos. And when you're open to the pneumos, you're going to fail. The only way you won't is when you're abiding in Christ, the real Jesus whose word is above his name. That's the only way. The only, only, only way. You see, anybody who's open to the pneumos without Jesus will suffer defeat. And if you're listening right now, you're a user. Maybe you're a homeless person and you're a user, or maybe you, you hear us mention the statistics, you know, 80%, you hear me mention the statistics, 80% want to be there. And you're like, wait a second, I don't want to be here. And you have a, a moment of sobriety where you're like, wow, you know what? I don't want to be here. But you're like, wait a second, but I can't stop using. I can't stop using. Just like this man in the tombs that we see here in Mark 5, if you have this brief moment of sobriety, do like he did. Do like he did. Exactly like he did. You know what that is? Run to Jesus and worship him. Run to Jesus and worship him. And it begins by you receiving him. Hit pause. Listen to the message. How to commit your life to Christ. And you do it right here, right now. You're addicted to crack. You're addicted to meth. You're addicted to the goofballs. You're addicted to marijuana. The cocaine. Doing the lines. Cooking spoons. And that's your lifestyle and, you know, you have your job, but all of a sudden you take your paychecks and you go and buy the drugs and then you lose your home because you can't, you're not paying the rent, you're not paying the mortgage. They start to shut off the electricity, they start to shut off the water and then you you have to live in the streets. And you're living in the streets and, you you know, you get your, you know, your, your government tent that the city officials paid $5,000 for, a $100 tent and they they're using you. They're using you, the politicians. People put their hope and trust in the politicians, but the politicians are the ones who are corrupt. 
You can go to the store and buy a $100 tent and the politician's paying $5,000 for a tent. The person who, who gets the $5,000, they buy a hundred, no, they buy in wholesale. So they pay a $50 tent. Where's the other 5,000? I'm terrible at math. Where's the $4,950 going? You see? And they make a $2,000 campaign contribution. Where's the rest of the money going? In the pockets. And you see these wicked, wicked people, corrupt. And they're using the homeless for profit, for their own gain, for money and for power. Why? Because the good old politicians sit in their office, in their seat of authority. But meanwhile, meanwhile, there's the higher authority who sees everything. He sees it all. He sees all of it. You see, he knows. And if you're listening and you're homeless and you're in your tent and you're like, man, I hate this. I want to believe. I like the crack. I like the, you know, the, the goofballs. I like to cook spoons. I like this. I like the meth. And then you're having a moment of sobriety and you're like, wait a second. I wish this could be me. I wish that this guy who's, you know, demon possessed and all of a sudden, you know, he comes to Christ. I wish this could be me. But let me ask you a question. Why can't it be you? Why can't it be you? You do exactly like he did. He ran to Jesus and worshiped him. How do you worship him? How do you worship Jesus? In spirit and in truth. And if that's you, you hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Don't play games. God loves you. He loves you. He's the one who made a way for you to live. For you to enter paradise. Tree of life. Book of Genesis, tree of life, forbidden. Book of Revelation, tree of life, now you can eat. You see, life, life everlasting. And you might be listening and you're the crackhead, you're the cokehead, you're the method, and you're like, wait a second, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. Why not? Why not? Because the man here in Mark 5, this demon-possessed man, he ran to Jesus and he worshipped him. And now look what Jesus is doing to the demons. You see, Jesus is fighting that fight. The man, in his moment of sobriety, he sees Jesus, runs to Jesus, and worships Jesus. I, you know, it wasn't just a, a walk. Jesus, the the, the demon-possessed guy, he didn't see Jesus and just walk to him. No, he straight up ran to Jesus. I wonder if this demon-possessed man in his moment of sobriety knew that, you know, oh my goodness, that in a moment, brief moment of sobriety, that the demons, they're going to take control of me and they're going to make me, you know, turn around and run into the, the rocks and start cutting myself. That's what the demons are going to do. And so he sees Jesus and boom, he books it to Jesus. He gets to Jesus, worships him. And you know what happens? The Lord fights. The Lord fights. And I have these conversations with addicts. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. Why not? 
You see, the Bible says light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. And I ask these questions to the drug addicts. Could it be? If you're listening and you're the addict, could it be that light has come to you and you see the light, you acknowledge the light, but could it be that you love darkness more than the light? Could it be that you see the light and you're like, you know what? I see the light. I recognize the light. But wow, I really like that crack. I really like that meth. You see, I love my lines. I love to cook spoons. You see? And these are things that when I have these conversations with the addicts, it's like, whoa, they're like kind of like a like a like a, a punch to the face almost with the realization of like, oh my goodness, like, do I love the darkness more than the light? And these are things that every single person has to make a choice for himself or herself that yes, light has come into this dark, dark, dark world. But every single one of us has a choice to make. You see, do I come to the light? Or do I reject the light? You see, and in rejecting the light, when the Lord says that, you know, light has come into the world, but people love darkness more than light. The, the Bible doesn't say, you know, they, they, they hate the darkness. Or they hate the light. The Bible doesn't say they hate the light. It does not say they hate the light says that they love darkness more than the light. You see? It could be said of drugs, of sex, of alcohol, of anything that pulls anybody away from the Lord. Yeah, you know, Jesus, yeah, I like him. I love him. But this crack, I love more. You see? But this whiskey, I love more. This vodka, I love more. These strippers, I love more. You see, pornography, I love more. The casinos, I love more. You see, the Ouija boards, I love more. The Buddha, I love more. Very important. Every single one of us has a choice to make. Do we do like this guy who runs to Jesus and worships him? Or do we stay with the tombs? Very important to understand what is happening here. And sometimes with these conversations, oh, you're oversimplifying, you're oversimplifying. It's not that easy. Look at this guy. He runs to Jesus, worships him, and Jesus, he engages in the fight. You see? The battle belongs to him. Sometimes the, the drug user gets very mad. It's very true that it's not that easy. You know, you're oversimplifying, you're oversimplifying. And it's very true with the religious establishment, with the political help, help from the community. And people say, you know, oh, I've tried Jesus already. I've tried Jesus already and it doesn't work. He doesn't work. Listen, I'm not talking about, you know, the false Christ. The false Christ cannot help you. I'm not talking about the, the false Christ that are from Satan. They're the powerless ones. We're talking about the biblical Jesus. 
the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. And Satan wants you nowhere near this Jesus. You see? So, you know, the Catholics come to you. Oh, yeah, no big deal. Fake Jesus. The Calvinists come to you. The, the Calvinists probably won't even come to you because, you know, the, the, you know, this guy's predestined. But if by chance the Calvinist or Reformed comes to you, Satan doesn't mind. Yeah. You know why? Fake Jesus. The Lutherans, the Methodists. Oh, yeah, you know, go ahead. Go ahead and talk with the Methodists. You see? The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Talk to their Jesus. Talk to their Jesus. Because it's not the biblical Jesus. The Jesus of the Bible, the real Jesus whose word is above his name, Satan, wants you nowhere near this Jesus. You see? That's why you see small churches where the remnant is. You don't see like, you know, a thousand people, 500 people, a hundred people, even 50 people. You're going to see like 20 people. Satan doesn't want people near the real Jesus. You see? It's straight up warfare. It's a fight. And if you're listening, you're not a believer. It's a fight for your soul. Because Satan knows he's going to burn in hell. The demons, they know their time is short. And they know they're going to burn in hell. All of them. And you know what they want to do? They want to drag you with them. They want to drag God's creation whom he loves. They want to drag you with them. So that you too can go to hell. And when I have these conversations, if God is so good, if God is so loving, why did he make hell for people to burn? Why? It's like, wait a second. Wait a second. Hell is for the fallen angels. You see? And sometimes the non-believers are, well, why does Jesus torment? Why does Jesus torment? Listen, that's a lie from the pit of hell, just like we see here in Mark 5. Deceiving the demons. They're deceived. They were deceived by Lucifer who seduced them. He seduces men. He made the fallen. He made the angels fall. You see? Now you hear us say that. Very important. Go and listen to our studies through 1 Corinthians all the way to Jude. Very, uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to just flat out say, I command you to do this. But listen, you have to do it. You have to do it because you're open to the pneumos. Whoa, you got to be ready. You're open to the pneumos. You better abide in Christ. We better abide in Christ. You and me, let us abide in Christ. Satan wants you nowhere near the biblical Jesus. That's why remnant churches are small. That's why churches are shutting down. Because Satan, you know, he's, he's at work. He's at work. He's deceiving the masses. Why? Because the only Christians who will be able to identify the Antichrist, it's the remnant. You see? Everybody else, they're going to get snookered. They're going to get tricked to believe the lie. Why? Because they have no love of the truth. It is prophesied these things will come to pass. You see? And if you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness, I'm homeless. Oh my goodness, I'm a crackhead. Oh my goodness, I'm a sex head. Oh my goodness, I'm, you know, I do the Ouija boards. I'm in the occult, I'm in the pneumos, and I didn't even realize I was in the pneumos. Listen, do like this guy does in Mark 5. Run to Jesus in your heart of hearts. Run to Jesus. Run to the biblical Jesus. 
You see, commit your life to Him. Commit your life to Him because God loved you. God loves you so much that He sent His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. That's what the Bible says. Shall not perish. A biblical promise shall not perish. A promise. But remember, there's effectuation for promises. You see? And so you and me, we abide in Christ. And so what happens here in Mark 5, the demons, they want to enter the swine. Notice, unclean for the unclean. And at once, in verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. 2,000. Have you ever talked with someone who's bipolar? I mean, like, that's bipolar, you know. Bi is two. Have you ever talked with somebody who's bipolar? What about 2,000 polar? I mean, is it 2,000 pigs or 2,000 spirits? If we say one spirit per pig, 2,000 spirits. Have you ever spoken with somebody that's 2,000 polar? Very high-level schizophrenia? You see, the doctors can absolutely diagnose. And the doctors can absolutely diagnose and treat according to the ways of the world. They have a semblance of wisdom, you see? But then just like we studied on Wednesday, when it comes to solution, when it comes to direction, when it comes to the what do we do now? Doctors can diagnose, doctors can treat, but what doctors can't do, they cannot heal. They cannot heal. They cannot free. Only Jesus can do that. You see? The biblical Jesus whose word is above his name. Not the Jesus of the Catholics or the Calvinists or the Lutherans or the Mormons. That Jesus is powerless. But the biblical Jesus whose word is above his name, the son of the most high God, he heals. Heals. And so sometimes when I have these conversations, they're like, well, you know what? I've tried it. I've tried the things that you tell me about. I've tried it. You talk about Jesus. I've tried him. And then I ask a question. Where did you hear about Jesus? Where did you hear about him? Oh, this Catholic guy came to me. This Catholic lady came to me. Listen, that Jesus is powerless. Powerless. Oh, the Mormons came to me. Powerless. Wrong formula. You see? But the biblical Jesus, he heals. Absolutely, he heals. And these are things that I tell you from experience. You see? And so the demons now, here in Mark 5, now the demons, they're straight up in the pigs, unclean for unclean. And we see here in verse 13, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. And so now there begins a little commotion. Look what happens here in verse 14. And here in, <clears throat> in verse 14, so those who fed the swine fled. Now remember, we see what's revealed here. There's the, the swine industry. The swine industry and the industry has workers and they flee. 
And in verse, four, in verse 14, they flee and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what, what it was that had happened. So the people from the city and the country, they come to see the report. And in verse 15, then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid straight up. They were afraid. In Dr. Luke's recording of the incident, he tells us of that, that the man was naked, he was homeless, and living in the tombs. And here in Mark, we see that there were 2,000 unclean spirits. Uh, have you ever seen pictures, just like photographs, of a person with, you know, on like heavy, heavy drug use? You know, with their, their skin, their teeth, their eyes, their hair. You see the picture. And then, have you ever seen the picture after rehab? And it's like night and day. You see somebody, oh, you know, I used to be on meth. And, you know, this is my picture from five years ago. And you're like, whoa, what in the world? And you see them now, it's like night and day. And that's just rehab. But here, it's much deeper because it's not rehab. It's healing from Jesus. I mean, have you ever talked to a former drug addict who's gone through rehab? It's like, you know, like everything's like they, they got to be very, very sensitive around alcohol, very sensitive around drugs, very sensitive. They, you know, they, they can't be anywhere near the stuff. Why? Because they can just go back into that lifestyle. But when there's healing from Jesus, it's gone. It's gone. And these are things that I tell you from experience. Strong drink was my vice. You see? And it's gone. The desire for strong drink, the desire for that former idol of mine, gone. Gone. And it's not like I, I got to be sensitive around alcohol. Oh, you know, like, you know, um, I'm fiending for alcohol. I'm fiend. No, it's gone. Praise be to the Lord. It's gone. And so you see rehab and people who were, you know, on rehab and praise the Lord that they're not doing drugs, but they're not healed because that stronghold is still there. And you might be listening and, you know, you've gone through rehab and you're like, wow, you know, I'm a former meth head. I'm a former alcoholic and I'm a former this. And wow, I really got to be sensitive. And look, it's good that you're sensitive around those things. It's good that you have that awareness, but you have to understand you're not healed. You're not healed. And you might think like, okay, this message is for them. You know, it's not for me because I've gone through rehab. No, this is for you. It's for all of us. And we have to understand like there is healing, straight up healing from the Lord. Just like me with the alcohol, my former idol. I don't have to be sensitive around alcohol. You know why? It's gone. It's gone. And praise be to the Lord. You see how he works? And if you've gone through rehab, you know, I rejoice that you don't do the, the alcohol or the drugs anymore. I rejoice in that. But I want to rejoice even further. And I beg you to fulfill my joy. Fulfill my joy. How do you do that? You commit your life to Christ. And you walk in the truth. You see? You walk in the truth and you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And it begins by you committing your life to Christ. And you hit pause, you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ.
Because we're not talking rehab. We're talking straight up healing. Cleanliness of heart. Pure before the Lord. And unclean no more. And so here in Mark chapter 5 and verse 15, the townspeople, they were like straight up like, oh my goodness, they're kind of freaking out because in Dr. Luke's account, the guy was naked and he was crazy with immense strength, ripping, tearing chains apart, being chained and ripping them apart. And townspeople, the country people, they see that and they're freaked out. What in the world? Is this the guy who had chains? I mean, you see the rehab pictures where, you know, five years this guy was on, on meth. And, you know, five years ago he was on meth. And now look at me, he's all cleaned up. Or five years ago this lady was on meth. And you see her now. And it's like, well, you know, she's really got cleaned up. But here, instantly, wow, this guy, he he used to be like, you know, crazy. And he had a, the, the, the demon possessed and all. And, you know, unbeknownst to them, it was demon possessed. They just figured, you know, crazy guy. And the religious establishment, they couldn't heal him. They couldn't address it. But then, boom, Jesus, he heals. You see? Is this the guy who was in chains? You see, the townspeople come. And notice what happens here in verse 16. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. And you would think here, in verse 16, you would think that the townspeople would be happy. Because finally this man is healed. But look what happens in verse 17. Then they began to plead with him. They began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. You see? The people and the, you know, from the town and the country, they hear the report. They come and see what's happening. And they're kind of freaked out at first. And the people who are witnesses, they say, oh, yeah, you know, this guy was demon-possessed. And he ran to Jesus, bowed down. And Jesus cast out the demon. And, you know, the, the demon was legion. And it went to the pigs. And the pigs went into the ocean. And boom, all this stuff happened. And you would think the townspeople would rejoice. But they plead with Jesus, hey, get out of here. You see, depart from our region. Get out of here. Now we see something about this industry. Industry. Where in the olden days, what would happen in the olden days, like a mill would go into a region or a factory would go into a region. And then around that mill or around that factory, the workers would, you know, they would go there to work, but then they would have their homes. They would build their homes and they would live in these communities. And then, you know, businesses would open up for trade. Somebody would open up like a clothing store, fabric store, so they can buy fabrics and tradespeople would come in. And that's how cities start to, to grow, you know, and more businesses would open for trading. And it would be centered around industry. And in some cases, multiple industries. And even in, you know, in today, you see cities that, you know, that has a hub for technology, a hub for the auto industry, a hub for certain industries, you know, mills, and you, you see that in certain cities. And this is how cities grow, the industrial development in a city. And so here in Mark chapter five, there's an industry of swine. You see? And this industry of swine has the workers, has the herdsmen, has the people who slaughter, the people who sell. And you have a whole herd is dead now. 
a big blow to profit margins. Not good for business. Again, you know, we're in the pig industry. We sell pigs. We make a lot of money out of pigs. And now the pigs are dead. And, you know, the pigs are gone. And we didn't sell them. No, the pigs are gone because there's Jesus. Because of him. A big blow to profit. You see? And instead of being happy for healing, what do the people say to Jesus? Get out of here. Get out of here. You see? Let's say, for example, you and me. Let's say, for example, you and me, we go to Las Vegas. You and me. We go to Las Vegas, you know, a place that they call Sin City. So we go to Las Vegas, and if we're non-believers, what happens is that we're easily sucked into what the city has to offer. And even if we're baby believers, we're easily sucked into what the city has to offer. And even if we're adolescent believers, you know, not fully matured in Christ, we're sucked into what the city has to offer, though it's not as quick as the babies and the non-believers. And let's say we're mature believers. And even still, we're sucked into what the city has to offer. Sin City. But it takes a while for influence to take its course and chip away at our convictions. And a lot of times people just figure, okay, that's it. You know, if you're a you know, non-believer and believer, believer's better. And when you're a believer, you're either baby, adolescent, or mature, and that's it. But there's another category. Let's say you and me. You and me, we go to Las Vegas. We're not non-believer. We're not baby believer. We're not adolescent believer. We're not even mature believer. Let's say you and me, we go to Vegas, Sin City, and we're straight up deadly believers. Deadly believers, the good deadly. And so what the city has to offer, Sin City, what the city has to offer cannot influence us. It has no power or impact on us. This is a, our very rare breed of believer. You and me, we enter Sin City. And what happens? We talk to a prostitute. You and me, we talk to a prostitute. And she's dressed like the prostitute. Her mannerisms are like the prostitute. But it has no impact on us. There's no, there's no demand there for us. There's the supply side, you know, in, in the prostitute. But as far as you and me, there's, there's no demand whatsoever. You know, the, the Lord healed us. You see? We're not baby. We're not adolescent. We're not mature. No, we're deadly. The good deadly. Like Titus. Like Timothy. Like Lydia. Priscilla. And so, with the prostitutes. With the prostitutes... The non-believers, they're all already fallen. The baby believers, fallen. Adolescent, fallen. Mature believers, they all fall. Not at the same time. And the mature can, you know, kind of hold out a little bit longer. But with the deadly, deadly believer, the prostitute falls. You see? And so you and me, we're in Vegas, we're deadly. And we're talking with the prostitute and she's just blown away. She's just amazed. Like, I've never heard it like that before. And then what happens? The prostitute, she becomes a believer. She becomes a believer. Right there on the streets of Vegas, the prostitute becomes our sister in Christ. And then she tells her friends. And then they come to hear us speak. 
And then what happens? We get more sisters. So it's like, whoa, the, the prostitutes are being saved. They're coming to Christ where before, you know, there was the, the supply side in terms of their industry. And the non-believer has the demand. The baby believer has the demand. The adolescent believer has the demand. The mature believer has the demand. But for the deadly believer, boom, no demand. It's not happening. You see? And instead of us falling, like all the other believers who went there, instead of us falling, no, they fall. And they fall on their knees and they worship the Lord. You see? And so all these prostitutes become our sisters. And then word spreads. And now instead of the prostitutes, now the strippers come out. And all of a sudden the strippers become Christians and we have even more sisters. And then there's a great commotion. And now the peoples, they start to leave the casinos. And they want to say, what's all the hullabaloo about? What's happening here? And so people start to, they got the slot machines, they got the card tables. And all of a sudden people start leaving those establishments. And now we start to get brothers and sisters. We win them to Christ. But then something else happens. Now there's going to be some problems because in this scenario, the pimps, the owners of the strip joints, the casino owners, they're going to lose money. You see, we're going to ruffle some feathers. They're going to lose money. They're going to be out of money because you and me, we've impacted their bottom line. We've impacted their dollar. You see? We're impacting the supply side and the demand side of their operations, you see? Because on the on their supply side, they're, you know, prostitutes and, you know, the, the card tables, those workers, you know, and the strippers. No, they're coming to Christ. But then the demand side, even their consumers, even their customers are coming to Christ. And the business owners, they're going to be very mad. You see? The pimps, they're going to be mad. And so everything in this city is centered around this very specific industry. You know, speaking about Vegas, you know, Sin City, they call it Sin City. You know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's their, that's their motto. And so now the neighboring casinos, the bars, the strip joints, the pimps, now they all come together. And what do they do? They take you and me and they kick us out of their city. And that's the clash of light and darkness. And it's a fierce, fierce battle for the hearts of men and women, young and old. And that's just to give you an example using Las Vegas, Sin City. Very dangerous for the non-believer. Very dangerous for the baby believer. Very dangerous for the adolescent believer. Very dangerous for the mature believer. But for the deadly believer? No. Vegas is in danger, you see? And the people here with Jesus, straight up, they just tell them, straight up, get out of our city. Get out of our city. You would think like, wow, look, you know, in other cities, miracles would happen and people would receive that and be like, whoa, this is what's happening here. And they would follow Jesus. But here, in the industry of swine, they straight up tell Jesus, get out of here. 2,000 pigs, get out of here. Get out of our city. Very interesting to understand this industry and these 
strongholds, not just, yes, there's the demonic, but at the same time, the strongholds, you know, with the demons and how they went to the swine. Remember the demon says, you know, don't kick us out of the country. They wanted to stay there in the country. Very interesting because you know what? They like the stranglehold. They like the stronghold. Very important to understand this aspect of the pneumos and the spirit realm and the demonic realm. And the pneumos has both demonic and things of the Holy Spirit. The formula's got to be right. The spirit realm has both light and dark. You see? Wicked and righteous. And it's the word of God that shows us you see? And so the people here with the swine, the swine are gone. And, the, you know, it's impacted the, their bottom line. All the pigs are dead now. And they just straight up say, leave our city. Get out of here. And Jesus, he obliges. He obliges them. You say, wait a minute. I thought we're supposed to fight. And listen, we're absolutely supposed to fight. But our fight is not according to the flesh. It is not carnal. And every time judgment comes, Every single time there is judgment, there is always, always, always a period of grace and mercy so that people can choose for themselves. And so the people say to Jesus, just, you know, hey, get out of here. And so Jesus obliges them and says in verse 18 here, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon possessed begged him that he might be with him. So beautiful. I'm so in love with this man. So in love with this man, you know, demon possessed. And you see his moment of sobriety where he knows, hey, I can't walk to Jesus because those demons have such a, a stronghold. I got to run. I got to book it to Jesus. His moment, 24 hours in a day. And, you know, 2,000 demons, 2,000 legion. And so what if in, 24, in a 24-hour period, what if there was just 40 seconds of sobriety where he's in his right mind? 40 seconds of sobriety before, you know, demon number, you know, 832 kicks in and says, demon number 832 says, okay, cut yourself. And what if in this 40 seconds of br brief moment of sobriety, the guy looks down from the tombs, sees Jesus and straight up, I got to book it. I got to book it because I know I only got 40 seconds and in 45 seconds, I'm going to see, I'm going to have the urge to cut myself. You see? So I got to book it to Jesus. In 30 seconds, he's, he reaches Jesus. 35 seconds, he's on his face before Jesus. The 40 second mark, he's worshiping Jesus. The 45 second mark, the demon speaks to Jesus. You see, the demons come. And the guy, as far as the guy, he's worshiping the Lord. And then Jesus, all of a sudden, he fights. He takes that battle. The battle belongs to me, says the Lord. You see? Right formula. What did this particular individual, the demon-possessed guy, what does he know about doctrine? What does he know about biblical truth? What does he know about the book of Genesis? What does he know about, you know, uh, the writings of Zephaniah and Zechariah? 
Has he been demon-possessed this whole time when Jesus began his earthly ministry? From a doctrinal level, what does he know? I'm going to give you the answer. Probably nothing. Probably nothing except this. Jesus is the Son of God. You see? And he goes to worship Jesus. And sometimes, you know, I say this because a lot of times non-believers and even believers who do not have a depth of understanding of the Word of God, there's a little kind of discouragement where like, you know, and I've had these conversations with the non-believers where it's like, wait a second, you know, I don't know everything there is about the Bible. And listen, if you're non-believer or believer, nobody does. Nobody does. The Bible explicitly says that those who know, know in part. That's what the Bible says. Those who know. And remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Go and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. You see? And the Bible says, those who know, only know in part. You see? And a lot of times you see pastors and teachers, they get on a high horse like, oh, look, I know the Bible, you know, don't don't come at me with that because I know the Bible like the back of the hand, like the back of my hand. And what happens is such people, predominantly men, but nowadays with the Jezebel spirit, you see it among females too. But what happens is that they're sowing seeds of judgment unto themselves because if they know, once a person knows, now they're responsible. And the person who claims, wow, I know the Bible like the back of my hand. I know the Bible, you know, and they speak negatively about the baby Christians or even the non-believers like, oh, I'm, I'm so high and mighty. I know the Bible. And what they're doing is they're sowing seeds of judgment unto themselves because once they know, they're going to be held to account. You see? So if you're a baby believer or even a non-believer and you're like, wow, you know what? I don't know the Bible. I don't know the Bible. Listen, knowledge, number one, is a gift of the Spirit. And it's never used, it's never used in a manner that is non-conducive to the Word of God. It's never used to, remember the rugby match, our study in the book of Romans, remember the rugby match? No, babies should be welcomed in with the mature, you see, that's what should happen. And, you know, and having these conversations with non-believers and even baby believers are like, wow, you know what? I don't know the Bible like this. I don't know the Bible like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't have this depth of knowledge. Look at the demon possessed guy. What did he, did he have a, a doctorate in theology? You see, did he go to seminary? No. But yet he bowed to Jesus and worshiped him. You see why? Formula. Formula. A very basic level of formula. But how beautiful is it to see this beautiful, beautiful man healed and freed by Jesus. And now he's begging Jesus, let me go with you, Jesus. Let me go with you. We see that in verse 18 here. He begged Jesus that he might be with him. And we see here in verse 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. And tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has and how he has had compassion on you. So many times we see Jesus where he says to people, don't say anything. Don't tell the people. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. And here to this particular man, he says, go and tell your friends. 
How long was it that this man was estranged from family and friends? I don't know. I don't know. But I doubt he had to say very much because they could see it. The proof was they could see in their with their own eyes. They could see like, whoa, what, what in the world? You know what has happened? And it's very interesting how before, before sending the disciples and, you know, J Jesus sends the disciples when they're apostles, but before sending the disciples out, something we're going to see in our future studies here in the gospel of Mark, but before sending the disciples, Jesus sends out this man. Very interesting. Where he tells everybody else, don't say anything, don't say anything, don't say anything. He sees this guy and this guy is healed, begging, you know, let me go with you, let me go with you. And he says, no, go home to your friends, tell them the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Very interesting. This beautiful, beautiful healed man, he obeys Jesus. You see? In verse 20, and he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis, all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Wow. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the Lord. What is happening here and what has happened with this man? I can't wait to meet him and tell him how much I love him and give him a big fat hug. I cannot wait. And so here we are in verse 21. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him and he was by the sea. Quite a bit of water crossings here. Quite a bit of water crossings that we start to notice. I wonder what this fulfillment of Moses' law is showing us. I wonder what this fulfillment of the prophets is showing us. I wonder, I wonder. We see here in verse 22, and behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And so now we see a member of the priesthood, chief ruler in the synagogue. We see this member of the priesthood. And we see in verse 22, Jairus, when, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Now, thus far, thus far, we have not seen the religious establishment fall at the feet of Jesus. So what's happening? What's happening? And we see with Jairus in verse 23 and begged him earnestly saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. You see what's happening? His baby girl, she's dying. She's dying. And he's not telling Jesus, you know, you know I'm not going to believe unless you heal my daughter. No, he's not saying that. In this particular man, ruler in the synagogue, Levite, Levite, very likely Kohanim, but Levite. And we see faith. In this particular ruler in the synagogue, we see faith because he's begging Jesus, come to my daughter to lay hands on her that she may be healed and live. Now, in the Jewish tradition, even still today, laying hands, it's not a widely held practice. And yet this ruler has an understanding that has deviated from tradition. And so notice what happens here in verse 24. So Jesus went with him 
And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Translates as they compressed on all sides. It's a great multitude. And not to not to make any type of carnal comparison, but you know, have you ever seen like a, a celebrity, you know, among crowds? You know, it's very dangerous for the celebrity because you know every all these hands are reaching and this and bumping and you know it's very dangerous. That's why they have security. And not to make these carnal comparisons, but just to illustrate, like you know, it says that the great multitude followed him and thronged him. It was just compressed on all sides, this great multitude. And in verse 25, now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. Now, this isn't a wound. This isn't like an injury that won't scab and heal. What it translates as, it's a flow and influx. So it's like a menstrual cycle. And, you know, in this case, we can't even call it a cycle because there is no cycle. It's just nonstop, nonstop. This flow of blood, nonstop. I mean, have you ever had a, like a chronic medical issue? Chronic. And it med doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. And you're just straight up exhausted at wit's end. What in the world is happening to me? This medical issue, like what in the world is happening? And that's this woman here in the crowd. That's this woman. And there are people who say that everything that is happening in Mark chapter 5, it's with the Gentiles. It's with the Gentiles, the people with the pigs, this woman. They're all Gentiles. There are people who say that. But for me, I don't prescribe to that notion. I do not prescribe to that notion because the Jews writ large have not yet rejected Jesus. Remember, to the Jew first and then Gentile. And this is a work of the Lord that we see down the road through his vessels, the apostles, when he sends them out to the Gentiles. We see, we see that with Paul. We see that with Peter, you see, being sent out unto the Gentiles. Remember, to the Jew first. And according to the law, this woman is unclean. She has a flow of blood for 12 years. Doctor after doctor after doctor, they could not heal her. And so according to the law, she's unclean. She could not be with the people. According to the law, she would have to be shouting, unclean, unclean. You see, according to the law, that's what should be happening. And some would argue that the, the very fact that the, she, she, she isn't saying this or doing this proves that she's Gentile. And something we have to say to the theologian friends we have and the theologian listeners that we have. How could the law be followed when the law isn't even understood? You see, to the Jew first. And so this woman, she has an irregular menstruation. And I don't even like saying it like that because I don't like saying irregular because this isn't an off cycle issue. This is just nonstop, nonstop, 12 years. And it hurts to... It hurts me to think about this woman's everyday life and everyday ordeal where this flow would not stop. And in verse 26, about this woman and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There's... There's nothing wrong with the medical community per se. 
the modern medical system definitely has its flaws, but they also have certain abilities and certain know-how to help the body. And doctor after doctor, procedure after procedure here in Mark chapter five, no healing, no healing. She only got worse. You see, spending all her money, all that she had, and she's only gotten worse. Now, picture her world for a moment. Exhausted. 12 years. This isn't like, you know, every other month type of deal. This is, this is like straight up nonstop. Picture that world. Exhausted. And yet, meanwhile, she begins to hear word about this Jesus. How he's healing people and speaking about a kingdom. And even the religious leaders are silent before him. Now, picture her exhaustion from the doctors. Exhaustion from the bleeding. And just the physical aspect of exhaustion and low energy. Remember, she's it's a loss of blood. And then there's a thought. Hearing about Jesus where maybe I too can be healed. And then reaching the point of just straight up conviction. You know what? It's not maybe I can be healed. It's straight up conviction. Like I can be healed. Now look what happens here in verse 27. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now remember, there's throngs of people. Jesus pressed on all sides. And in verse 28, you know, for she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. It's not translates in the Greek. It's not audible. It's a conviction or internal thought. And we see this woman here in the crowd. She's kind of in incognito mode, you know, where, you know, because if she were to, if she were to follow the law, she shouldn't be there. She should not be with the crowd. She should be yelling, unclean, unclean. Because according to the law, the penalty is straight up death. Stoning. Because she's, according to the law, unclean. But yet she has this conviction. Conviction. I mean, just straight up, like the strength to fight through this crowd. I mean, when you lose blood, the human body is not at peak, peak strength. When you lose blood, you're not at 100%. So I'm just wondering, you know, is this woman at 80% strength? Is she at 60% strength? Is she at 50% strength? I don't know. But what I do know is that she ain't at 100% because she's losing blood. I'm at 100% strength. Maybe she could just fight through the crowd, you know, a little push here, a little push there. Maybe she could do that. But 60% strength, each step being arduous, a little push, and she could fall over. And she's convinced that she can be healed. If she just touches his garment, she's convinced. And she comes from behind and she touches our Lord. Look what happens in verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, remember, no talking, no talking. She didn't say like, excuse me, Jesus, and, you know, and give the story of her 12 years. She didn't do that. Her hand reaches out to the crowd and her hand touches and reaches and touches the garment of Jesus and boom, instant healing. 
instant healing. What the doctors couldn't do, doctor after doctor after doctor, procedure after procedure after procedure, they only made things worse. But with Jesus, instant healed. She touched his garment. Remember, she was convinced. If I can just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. That was her conviction. If I can just touch his clothes. And in verse 30, in Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Straight up, who touched my clothes? In verse 31, it kind of caught, caught the disciples off guard because we see here in verse 31, but his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you and you say, who touched me? See, I mean, it's kind of like an odd question. I mean, like there's the, the crowds are there crowding Jesus, the throngs, and he's just getting pressed on all sides. And in Dr. Luke's record, it's Jesus who says, no, 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 I felt power leave me. And in verse 32 in Mark chapter 5, and he looked around to see her, see her who had done this thing. But the woman, in verse 33, the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, when you understand the law, this is a terrifying moment. A terrifying moment because according to the law, she shouldn't be there. She should not be in the crowd because she's unclean according to the law. And according to the law, being unclean and with the crowd, with the people, according to the law, she should be stoned. You see? And don't forget, the ruler of the synagogue is there as well. So this woman, she has every reason to be trembling in fear. Every reason. And so now her cover is blown. Incognito mode is over. Now her cover is blown. And she's rightfully fearing and trembling. Yes, she's healed, but, you know, she was immediately healed. But her cover is blown and she hides nothing from Jesus. She kneels before him and spills the beans. She tells him everything, the whole truth. And in verse 34, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You see, God is a rewarder of faith. Old Testament, New Testament, and still today, the Lord rewards faith. You know, you hear us, you know, make these, you know, if you're not a believer, hit pause, listen to the message. It takes faith to do that. It takes faith to do that. And God rewards faith. This beautiful woman here in Mark chapter 5. This beautiful, beautiful woman. I can't wait to meet her because when I'm done with the formerly demon-possessed man, when I'm done giving him a big fat hug, I'm going to say, where's this woman? Because I want to give her a big fat hug as well. I'm so in love with her. 12 years afflicted and now healed. Healed. And you're pastors these days, you know. There's no healing anymore. That was for 2,000 years ago, they say. That was for another dispensation. Pastors say that to their congregation. 
The healing in the book of Acts, you don't see that anymore. That was for another dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It was strictly for the book of Acts era. What does that say of their faith? What does that say of their faith? Straight up, what does it say of their faith if they have faith? Or do they have intellect? Is intellect their God? You see? Is it better to trust in doctors? Is it better to trust in man? And these pastors, oh, there's no healing like in the book of Acts. That was for 2,000 years ago. Listen, these fools have no business at the pulpit. No business at the pulpit. If you're in a church and that the church feels more like a college class, like a university lecture, listen, leave. Leave. Because you're going to learn. Absolutely, you're going to learn. But you're going to learn the way of the fool. You're going to learn the way of the blind. And Jesus says, if the blind follow the blind, what happens? Both fall into a ditch. You see, there's a better way, and it's the way of the living, and that's where faith grows. Faith growing more and more and more and more and more, and it's so beautiful to see. And it happens still this day. It wasn't just for 2,000 years ago. It's happening still today with the power, the moving, the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Remember, every high priest brings gifts. Very important to understand. And so knowing what we studied in the book of Hebrews, that every high priest gives gifts, or every high priest brings gifts, and when you have these pastors who say, oh no, the gifts, that was for 2,000 years ago, what high priest do they worship? Not capital H and capital P. What high priest are they talking about? You see? That's not the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. You see? Very important to understand. The full counsel of the word of God. Because the old interprets the new. The new interprets the old. And with that and through that, we have the full counsel of the word of God. Genesis, Revelation, everything in between. And the word became flesh. And his word is above his name. All else is an imposter. You see? An imposter. Servants of Satan. Who come in, the preacher guys. They come in, they got the smile. They come in with their, you know, their degrees. Oh, yeah, I went to this Bible college. I went to this seminary, what we call cemetery. You see? And hook, line, and sinker, the people buy it. These preacher guys come in with another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. Notice what happens here in verse 35. In verse 35, while he was still speaking... While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? So while this was happening with the woman being healed with her bleeding, and praise be to the Lord, that's a beautiful thing. And something else was happening in the home of the ruler. Remember, is the, the ruler who said, you know, Jesus, you know, falling down before him, you know, begging him, come to my house because baby girl, she's dying. Baby girl is dying. And so while this was happening with the woman and the, and the, 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 the bleeding for 12 years, something was happening in the home of the ruler. Now, it's, it's good that those from his home called Jesus teacher. That's good. And notice, they can identify certain things that are factually true. Where I mean, the, 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 the daughter is, is, 
is dead. I mean, they checked the body and it's been confirmed by man. Baby girl has died. It's just like our study on Wednesday. It just so happens. It just so happens. It's just like our study on Wednesday where there is a wisdom of this world that can identify things. And here they straight up say, hey, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher any further. And immediately something happens. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Only believe. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Now put yourself in the ruler's sandals for him. The ruler of the synagogue, put yourself in his sandals for a moment. The ruler in the synagogue, this of the priesthood, put yourself in his sandals just for a moment. Where you acknowledge Jesus as teacher. And baby girl is at home. And she's dying. And you believe, you're convinced that Jesus can heal her and that she won't die. And you leave home for, specifically, for Jesus. And you reach Jesus. And there's this hullabaloo about a demon-possessed man being healed. And not to discredit that or, you know, not to say that that's not a, a big thing. And that's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's, a, that's holy what has happened with this demon-possessed man, formerly demon-possessed, because now he's a brother in Christ. But baby girl is dying. Baby girl is dying and time is of the essence. And so you fall, remember, you put yourself in this ruler's sandals and you fall at the feet of Jesus and you beg him, come to my house. Come to my house, baby girl, she's dying. Come to my house. If you touch her, if you lay hands on her and touch her, she will be healed and she will live. Come to my house, baby girl, she's dying. And time is of the effort, of the, of the essence. Time is of the essence. And so Jesus says, let's go. Let's go. And you're trying to hurry. Remember, baby girl's dying. And the crowd gets bigger and bigger and presses from all sides. And then the woman touches Jesus. The woman touches Jesus. Now, as ruler of synagogue, you know, you discover like, wait a minute, you know, according to the law, if she was bleeding, she should be stoned because she didn't say unclean. And here she is with the people. And remember, time is of the essence. Baby girl is dying. So the woman touches Jesus and Jesus stops and he asks, you know, who touched me? What we just studied, what we just read in the previous verses, who touched me? And certain things begin to happen according, according to what we just read in the previous verses. But as for you, remember, putting yourself in the ruler's sandals, we're on a time crunch. We're on a time crunch. Baby girl is dying. And then the lady comes forward. Jesus, who touched me? The lady comes forth and she kneels. And she says, it was me who touched you. And then she spills the beans and she starts to speak. 12 years ago, it's like, oh no. Remember, you're in, the, you're, you're in the sandals of the ruler of synagogue. And remember, time is of the essence. And this woman who's healed. And it's not to, not to discredit that or say that that's a bad thing. No, that's a beautiful thing. The demon-possessed guy, praise be to the Lord. This woman who's healed with the bleeding, praise be to the Lord. But time is of the essence. 
And this lady with the crowd, she starts to speak. 12 years ago, this happened. It's, oh, no. We don't have time for this, baby girl. She's dying. My beautiful daughter, she's dying. And then the woman. And then 11 years ago, no. My precious daughter, baby girl, I'm losing her. And then the woman continues. And then 10 years ago. And then there was this doctor. The woman is spilling the beans to Jesus. Just being completely honest, upfront, not hiding anything. Just an open book before the Lord. And that is a beautiful thing. But when you put yourself in the sandals of the, the ruler of the synagogue. And he's losing his daughter. I'm losing her. Baby girl, my beautiful daughter. And while Jesus, you know, so the lady healed of the blood is done saying what she has to say. And the Lord says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while Jesus said that, while he said that, while he was speaking that to the woman, some people came to the ruler, some people that were in his house, they came to the ruler. They said, okay, it's over. Don't bother him anymore. Don't bother the teacher. You know why? Because your daughter, baby girl, she's dead. She's died. She's breathed her last. Remember, we're in the ruler's sandals and all these things are happening with the demon-possessed guy and praise be to the Lord. He's healed and praise be to the Lord. This woman, she's healed. It's not to say like, you know, hey, time is of the essence. Jesus, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that because Jesus does that. And so we're in the ruler's sandals. And consider the blow to faith to hear those words. Don't bother the teacher. Your daughter is dead. Consider the blow to faith. Where the ruler just figures, okay. Too late. Too late. I should have grabbed onto the hand of Jesus and ran. I should have picked him up and ran. Too late. Baby girl's gone. She's dead. I've lost my daughter. My fear has come to pass. Baby girl is gone. And immediately Jesus turned to the ruler. Do not be afraid, he says. Do not be afraid. Only believe very interesting what the lord says to him don't be afraid only believe now remember last week's study in chapter 4 how the lord gives us a picture and he reveals to us what happens with seeds when they reach the heart where it's entirely supernatural it's entirely of the pneumos and for this ruler here in mark chapter 5 We've seen beautiful things with that seed in his heart. Because remember, he has faith. He has faith. But think about what happens with faith that has been jolted at the news that his daughter is dead. And I was, we study, we remember our study last week in chapter 4 where we see that there's, we see what happens in the spirit realm. Beautiful things with seeds and seeds in this particular 
ruler in the synagogue, but we also see and understand that there are threats upon seeds. And these threats upon seeds can happen through life events. Threats upon seeds come through Satan, the demons, satanic workers, false prophets, false teachers, the wolves who are at pulpits, through other believers, through life events. There are multiple threats on seeds. And in these life events, you know, baby girl is dying. My beautiful, beautiful daughter, she was dying. And now that report has come to my ears, baby girl is dead. And by the report of these particular individuals, baby girl is dead. Hope is lost. What do you think can happen to seeds through tragedy? A whole lot of bad can happen. A whole lot of bad can happen. But something else can happen. With very special cultivation and care because remember jesus says immediately when he heard those words immediately don't be afraid he says to the ruler don't be afraid only believe and in verse 37 and he permitted no one to follow except peter james and john the brother of james so you have the crowds of people and no one can follow with the exception of peter James and John. And if you've been walking with us for a while, it just so happens that we read some of their letters, the epistles. And I can't speak for you. I can only attest for myself that my heart was and is cultivated by their writings. The writings of Peter, the writings of James, the writings of John. Brother Peter, Brother James, Brother John. My heart. My heart sings with their writings. My heart sings with their words. My heart rejoices because of their writings. And I venture to say that your heart does too. And here in verse 38, Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly. And in verse 39, and when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. The child isn't dead, but sleeping. Now this statement comes with offense. Major, major offense. And it depends on the heart. Because it's the hard heart that will be offended. The soft heart will not be. Baby girl has died. And the house and the ruler of the synagogue, there's everybody's weeping and wailing. They're sad. And then Jesus comes in. Why make this commotion and weep? She's not dead. She's sleeping. And in verse 40, we see something happen. And they ridiculed him. You see, they're inside the house where Jesus says to everybody, she's not sleeping or she's not dead. She's sleeping. She's only sleeping. Why make this commotion and weep? And they laugh and ridicule him. How it translates, they laugh and ridicule and scorn and mock and scoff at him. Because according to them, baby girl is dead. According to them, baby girl's dead. 
And this comes with a reaction from the Lord. Remember, the, 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 the Lord is reactionary. And so what does he say? Okay, everybody out. Everybody out. And we see here in verse 40, but when he had put them all on the outside. Very interesting what we see. Where you see the masses on the outside. You know, the masses on the outside where he said, okay, everybody stay here except for uh, Peter, John, James, and John. You know, everybody except for Peter, James, and John. Okay, you three come with me and we're going to go with the ruler and let's go to his house. And everybody, you have the crowds on the outside. But then you have those masses who are on the outside. But then this smaller group that, that are in the house, still a, lot, a crowd of people that are in the ruler's house now. But then he says to them, get outside. And to those on the inside, a very small group, to those on the inside, things are shown to them and things are revealed to them. When he had put them all outside, the Bible says, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. So look who's, who enters here where a baby girl was lying. Where baby girl was lying. Everybody said she was dead. They mocked Jesus when he said she's only sleeping. They laughed and scoffed him. And so everybody who enters, it's not the crowds on the outside. It's not the, the ones who, when Jesus says, you know, everybody stay here, Peter, James, and John, you come with me. It's not that crowd. It's not this other crowd, the ones who were in the house. It's Peter, James, and John, disciples and future apostles, and mama and papa of this beautiful, beautiful girl. And everybody thought she died. And you consider the hearts of mama and papa. Devastated. Straight up devastated. Baby girl, they're in the room where baby girl was dying. And here she is in this inner room. And there they are in this inner room. Everybody said she was dead. But everybody who says she was dead, they're all on the outside. Jesus is the one who put them out. And Jesus said, no, she's sleeping. And he's here in this inner room among a very small group. And for the disciples, there's a certain degree of separation here because this girl is lying here, but it's not their daughter. And I don't want to, it's not to sound cold hearted, but there is a degree of separation that has an impact on the level of grief. I mean, if a girl dies, if you hear about a girl dying, there is sorrow that's associated with that. Maybe even painful and tragic. But if it's your daughter, you see, there's certain degrees of separation that have an impact on grief. If it's your daughter, it's devastating. And for the disciples, don't forget, they were amazed in last week's study. I mean, they're, they're, they're amazed. Remember when Jesus kind of like, kind of laughed a little bit at Nathaniel when Nathaniel says, you know, you know, you, you, you Messiah, you are the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah. And Jesus kind of laughed like, you know, because I said, I saw you under the fig tree. You know, I saw you, I said, I saw you under the fig tree. You believe, but unbeknownst to Nathaniel, he would see the ocean obey Jesus. You see, and last week's study, you know, even the ocean obeys Jesus. 
And so here we are in this inner room. And there's just five with Jesus. In verse 41, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. And boom, immediately the girl arose and walked. For she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. You see, this was not done with the large crowds that Jesus says, you know, you know Jesus told them, you know, do not follow. This was not done with the other crowd that Jesus says, hey, get outside. No, this was for a smaller remnant. And with one now risen, baby girl. With one now risen, now there's a total of six with Jesus. A total of seven. Can you see what's happening here? This inner group. This smaller remnant. These deeper things are being shown. These deeper things are being revealed. These deeper things are happening. And in verse 43, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. Very interesting what we see here. Because to the demon-possessed man, Jesus says, you know, go tell the people. Go and tell them. But here, he says strictly, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Why is that? Why is that? Because remember, this is the home of the ruler of the synagogue. And by this point, Jesus, he's already teaching by parable. And we start to see truth being withheld. But truth is withheld for a reason. You see? Remember, in that house, people were mocking him. And to the mockers, hey, get out. You see? Get out. And for this inner group, this smaller remnant... Where there's no doubt certain things are happening that he's showing them, that he's revealing. You see? And when truth is withheld, which happens for a reason, we see that among the faithful, we see revealing. And in faith and with faith and through faith, we see revealing. We see things happen. We see things being shown. And when Jesus sends the Holy Spirit, what do we see? Gifts of the Spirit. And when truth is withheld, which happens for a reason, it happens because what the Bible says, there's no love of the truth. And the Word of God teaches us. We just have to understand and we have to understand and we have to obey and we have to walk in truth remember we walk by faith and not by sight and the days that are ahead are going to get darker and darker and darker and darker and very evil it is prophesied but when we read about these promises of the lord and understand formula and understand effectuation for promises we see something else Provision, provision, guidance, you see, direction. 
And so here we are in Mark 5, and we've reached the end of our study. But there's something else I want to say. Let's say you and me, for example, let's say you and me are Pharisees. And we're Pharisees at this particular junction in the era of Mark chapter 5. And you and me, we want to believe in Jesus. We want to believe in the words that he says, but there's just a little hint of doubt. And then let's say, for example, that we hear about the matters that have happened here in our study in Mark chapter 5. And we know, because remember in this example, we're Pharisees and we want to believe, but there's that little hint of doubt. And we know that life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. And now let's take these two females. Two females. One is old, one is young. With one female, 12 years, a flow of blood. The other female, 12 years, presumably dead. And both healed. One of bleeding, the other of death. And with 12 as a commonality, we start to wonder. As Pharisees, and remember, we want to believe, but there's that little hint of doubt. And we start to look at these commonalities. Very interesting. Twelve, huh? Twelve. Twelve with this lady, twelve with this girl. Very interesting. And then you look at me. And you say, you know what? We also have 12 tribes. You think the Lord is trying to tell us something? Even when truth becomes veiled, which that's not a good thing. When truth becomes veiled, that is not a good thing. And what really isn't good is when, you know, the when strong delusion sets in. And that's when hearts become stone. And stone is definitely not good. That's judgment. But prior to stone... There's still hard wood, which isn't soft. I mean, the hard wood is hard wood, but it's definitely not stone. And if it's not stone, there's hope. If it's not stone, there's hope. There are still things that can ignite faith. There are still things that can be set ablaze to remove doubt and get the gears of faith turning so that people can believe. And this is what Brother Jude writes to us about. For you and me to make this distinction so that we can save through fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You see? It's like the Vegas example, Las Vegas, Sin City. The garments defiled by the flesh and hating that, but even still rescuing as through fire. To the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.